Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn. Welcome to Swans in the Twilight Show. Meet Nathan Ginn tonight. We're joined by Dr. Amar Ferguson, child and educational psychologist, to discuss creating space in a busy and complex system, the role that educational psychologists can play in reducing teacher stress. Tune in, talk it out, off we go. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome to Swansea and it's the Twilight Show with me Nathan Ginn here on Teachers Talk Radio or as I'm calling it at this time of year the Midnight Show is dark outside it's dark and it's dark um, and yep I am back on the airwaves I might have still a little bit of husk in the voice there I have been off with Covid for the past week but I'm back back in school today Man, those stairs were hard, I will tell you that. Now, I'm hoping that we're joined by Dr. Amar Ferguson. I have connected there. Can you hear me? Hello, Nathan. Can you hear me? Yeah, you are coming through loud and clear. So, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Really looking forward to to having a chat with you this evening. Yeah, you know, it's something that... uh, you know, I should I should say, you know, I stumbled across you on Twitter. I saw yeah. you tweeting about um, your your doctoral thesis that you'd done, and mm. I, I have read it. I've been been back and read through it, <laughs> and there were bits in it that I just, you know, some of the questions as we get onto them, you know, mm. I'm sure there were bits that I realised suddenly. And, and being someone who has worked with educational psychologists for you know for a number of years now, I realised yeah. there was bits that I just didn't understand about the role, or I yeah. hadn't maybe considered so I'm really hoping that you know lots of people will get something out of this but before we get started why don't you introduce yourself a little tell us a little bit about yourself and what you currently do yeah so uh, yeah my name's uh, Amar Ferguson I'm a recently qualified um, educational psychologist and I'm working for a a local authority in in a London borough Fantastic. And um, I suppose lots of teachers will be aware of um, educational psychologists, you know, they might not be coming into regular contact with them. Certainly people like Senkos or or more senior leaders might have more of a relationship there. Um, But you are sort of part of the educational workforce I would put it as um do how do you see sort of what's your your opinion of schools at the moment what do you see as the things going on in schools are you happy with the state of education yeah I mean it's, it's a really it's a broad question it's a good one I mean I don't know if I've kind of sat down and, and thought about kind of what my general view is as, as kind of schools as a whole I think in terms of my my practice at the moment it feels that in terms of teacher expectations, we've gone back to kind of the, the pre-pandemic type expectations. I think where I, I do have a strong view is, you know, generally on teacher well-being and what teachers are being kind of expected to do. Because, you know, my personal experience, you know, my, my research as well, uh, is no surprise, I'm sure, to anybody listening that, you know, the primary reason why teachers are, are leaving the profession 
is not because they're no longer enthused about, you know, making a difference for young people. It tends to be because of, you know, high workload and trying to get that work-life balance. So, you know, I'm particularly passionate about seeing what we can do to try and support really talented teachers to, to stay in the profession because, you know, we need those type of people. I think, you know, if you're in a profession like teaching, which I would kind of, I would term as a, a kind of a caring profession, I think you have a natural proclivity to want to go the extra mile. You know, you want to support the children that you're, you're working with. You don't want to let your, your colleagues down. And sometimes that proclivity to, to kind of go that extra mile can mean that, you know, the boundaries are a little bit blurred in terms of some of the things that you kind of you, you take on and certainly sometimes the expectations as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm really keen to kind of explore what type of things can be done to support teachers so that they're not leaving the profession, that they're not you know, being burnt out. Yeah, you know, I can reflect on that. Today, you know, I said I've been off with COVID. I went back into school. I probably shouldn't have gone back in today. I'm not I'm not like 100%, but, yeah. but I went back in and, and there were people turning around to me going, you know, should, should you have come in today? You know, you sure you're better? And I, I, you know, I did. I recognized that kind of, I wanted to be there. I felt if I wasn't there, I was, mm. you know, either letting the team down or letting the yeah. kids down and that I felt I had to be there. And I think that's definitely, I don't know whether it's, you know, innate to teachers, but certainly it is in the profession that we're doing that. Now, um, the other bit that people might not know about is is kind of how you go about becoming an educational psychologist. Yeah. So what is the, you know, what is the training involved there? Um, how much access does that give you, I guess, to schools would be part of my interest? Or are you purely looking at children? Or is it a mixture of both? Yeah, so you know, so you're, you're working within the school system. So I mean, my my personal journey was a little bit different because my my first degree was actually music so i did a conversion masters in psychology so that is essentially a, a three-year psychology degree condensed to one year but kind of marked at a master's level so basically to become qualified as an educational psychologist you have to do the, the educational psychology doctorate um, and to be eligible for that you need to um, have either a psychology degree or a master's that has been accredited by the British Psychological Society. And then you need to apply for, um, for a doctoral space. So I think there may be around 12, 13 universities in the country that offer the doctorate. I know that there are four in, in London. Um, so then you, you go for a cycle of applying. And you know, it, the application process is, is quite rigorous and is quite challenging. So, I mean, I was lucky enough to get a place at the Institute of Education the second time round of, of applying. So the first time I applied, you know, I had a, a master's in psychology. I'd had, you know, by that point, 10 years experience working in education, um, but I wasn't even offered an interview for any of the, the places where, where, I'd, um, where, I, where I'd applied. Um, lucky enough, second time round, I, I was able to get on to the, the doctorate um, at the Institute of Education. But to, to give you an idea of how challenging it can be to get onto the, the doctorate, I think the year that I applied, um, there are around maybe 300 people who applied to, to, to study at, at IOE. They shortlisted it down to 70 people to be uh, interviewed, and that was for 16 funded places. So, I mean, already we're not, we're not training enough educational psychologists um, as it is, but yeah, it, it's quite a, a challenge to get onto a, a doctoral training program. Wow. Yeah. I'm, you know, and I, I, you know, I'm sure we'll get onto those kind of bits about sort of supply and demand a little bit later on when we talk through some of the, the possible things that ways that having sort of EP time in school could 
could help because my experience personally, you know, when, I, when I've worked in different areas and I have worked across different um, sort of parts of the country doing this, and of course, England, Wales, different countries, um, is that um, there, there is, you know, a, a shortage, or at least I would feel maybe like a shortage of, of um, educational psychologist time. I'm, you know, I might put it there. I don't know if it's a shortage of actual people, but certainly the access that I had to them, we were always clasping at it. You know, we were always looking yeah. for that. Um, does it feel like that within the profession? Do you feel sort of pulled in lots of different directions, it, or, or is that kind of dealt with sort of higher up the food chain? I guess by commissioning of of time. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it's it's a challenge that's being experienced, you know, throughout all different parts of, of the UK. I think there's something like 24,000 schools across the, the country and maybe 4,700 EPs. And, you know, the I think, you know, majority of those EPs are probably located within, you know, the, the southeast of, of, of the UK. So, you know, there, there definitely is a challenge in relation to you know, having enough trained EPs to, to do the work that is required to support schools. But also, you know, in, in, in saying that, you also have different uh, local authority contexts. So some local authorities, I think quite rarely now, uh, access to educational psychology is free at the point of, of access. But most local authority e educational psychology service operate either a traded or a partially traded service model, whereby schools have to buy in a certain uh, amount of, of EP time or EP visits. And that obviously has a, an implication for you know, what they're able to, to do with their EP time, depending on you know, how well staffed that, that educational psychology service is, how much money a school has to kind of you know, invest in EP time. Yeah, um, and and I, one of the other parts then, you know, that we will, um, you know, we will get onto, but I want to kind of get it out of the way because I'm sure people will have, you know, these will be the things that help set the scene when we talk a bit more about some of the the possible ways of helping are is, you know, I was reading through your doctoral thesis and and you came to a part where you were talking about Senko's being uncertain about the breadth of the EP role and uncertain about the type of work that EPs are capable of undertaking, and and I would say if that's true of Senko's, then teachers who rarely get a chance to you know work closely with an EP probably don't have a, a good understanding of not only what's possible but some of the day-to-day -day roles as a class yeah. teacher myself you know I saw the person come in and you know and do some observations and then a, a, a while later I would see the report come out but yeah. what is you know what is the day-to-day -day role of, of an EP generally what does it involve for you yeah I mean it's a really good question and I mean you know to be honest, but before I had a conversation with an EP in a previous role, I didn't know what educational psychology was, and I was stunned because I'd, I'd worked in education for such a long time and working with you know some some vulnerable pupils, and I'd never interacted with an educational psychologist or, or knew what what one was. I, I mean, I'd say there's probably you know five core elements to to our work. Um, that's kind of consultation, um, assessment, uh, intervention, research, and and training. Um, I, I, I would argue that sometimes there's an overemphasis on uh, the assessment kind of element of, of our role, that idea that, you know, we, we, we come in, we, we do, you know, individual pupil assessments, which you know, is a really important part of our role. But I feel that it's kind of a, a part of our role that's perhaps overemphasized to the detriment of, of the other roles that we have. So, you know, the work that, that I've been able to undertake in my local authority has been quite varied. So if I take this week, for example, I've I've had a couple, a couple of um, homeschool consultations where I've, I've met with with class teachers, parents, maybe a senko, discussing um, a young person. 
I've been in school, done some in-class observations. I've done some direct work. Um, yesterday, I was at one of my primary schools delivering an attachment training to whole staff. And, and one of the things I'm, I'm really passionate about is holding staff drop-in or supervision sessions, which is kind of a, a space where, where staff can come and uh, have a, controvers a, a contra confidential space to, to speak to kind of an outside professional about uh, challenges that they might be experiencing at work or maybe a challenge that they're experiencing outside of work. So that kind of gives it a little bit of a flavor of some of the types of work that I get involved in. Yeah, and you know, and I, uh, when I reflect on it, and I think, I, you, do you know what? I have been to training sessions where, you know, an, an EP has come in and delivered some training for us on, on, um, you know, on whether, as you say, things like trauma informed practice and, and parts like that. And I have spoken to um, sort of other teachers, or certainly where supervision around mental health in schools is is certainly a thing. I put out a poll on on our Twitter account. It was around only around about twenty percent of people said that that was something they were actively involved in. Another ten percent said it was offered, but they they yeah. don't do it themselves. Um, do you think then that that's that's possibly you know we're going to go on to talk more about this? But is that aware you you see there is opportunity for growth or see there is opportunity for impact in education? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I I first came across the idea of supervision when I was working for CAMS. So I used to work for CAMS as a mental health clinician. So I was delivering um, therapeutic interventions to children between the ages of five and eighteen. Uh, they had a uh, a diagnosis of either anxiety or depression, and they had a comorbid neurological condition like ASD or ADHD. So I was dealing with you know some really vulnerable young people with some complex cases and you know, I, I'd be seeing these people on a weekly basis but then I had this 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 thing called supervision where it was a, a an experienced psychologist who I could speak to on a on a weekly or bi-weekly basis talk about um, you know my caseload think about maybe the things that I might need to do in terms of you know my interaction with the young people think about how I'm managing my workload if there were things outside of work that were impacting my ability to do my work I could kind of bring it to this space and you know it wasn't a, a managerial logistic space although you know that you, you could use it in that way it was was very much a, a space for me to be able to to think and, and and share ideas with somebody who was kind of more experienced than me and I found it to be a really really powerful experience because I thought well some of these people that I'm seeing on a weekly basis you know they're in school they're having support from LSAs and learning mentors and teachers but those teachers I don't know, do they have that same space to be able to offload and, and reflect and share ideas about how managing or supporting that young person was? So it really made me feel that actually there's there's a space within education for for, for that kind of provision for, for staff. Yeah, and I have to say, you know, look, when I first heard about it, and I first heard about it from from a school that it was actually a school my sister um, works in, and she was talking mm. about this idea that they'd they'd said actually, you know, anyone who is a designated safeguarding lead who is having to deal with some really challenging uh, things, anyone who is is dealing with where there is challenging behaviour, yeah. or uh, you know, it, these people we're going to prioritise. And I and I looked back on my my own experience and, and realised that actually, do you know what? I think maybe maybe there is a need for space about this, but supervision is something very different because we're talking about something outside of the role of a line manager then it's not me yes. going to my boss and saying i've got a problem yeah ab absolutely and you know i think you know in that that same twitter 
feed that I think you, you came across. I you know in psychology within kind of the, the, the therapeutic world, I think our relationship to that word supervision is very different, I think, to how it is viewed within education. So I kind of, I whilst I know the meaning of it, I kind of stay away from calling it supervision because it can have some perhaps negative connotations within their kind of education context, maybe the idea that I'm not coping and therefore I need to be supervised. It's very much not that, as you say, it isn't kind of managerial, it's very much a, a supportive space. So I kind of refer to them as staff drop-ins so that, you know, when, when I'm offering that out, there's a clear explanation of what staff can expect from that space. And it's not viewed as a kind of a punitive measure, you know, you're not coping, you're not doing your job, therefore you need to be supervised. It's very much, no, this is a supportive space to hopefully be able to help you to, to reframe and, and reflect on some of the areas of school life that you might be finding challenging. Um, and there is one question, I know I didn't really sort of prime you for this one as such, but um, as some people would see, uh, you know, an EP's role, and we're talking aside from the, the, the supportiveness mm. um, uh, side of the, the supervision or the, the drop-in sessions, but some people might see that the role of an EP coming in uh, to, to assist teachers, they might find that that is, um, they don't react to it well. Uh, maybe I'm trying to think how best to words this. They might not uh, recognise the support that's there available, and you know, an outsider coming in. Have you? Is that something that you have come across, or do you generally find that that the teachers are quite welcoming and open to having whatever support you're providing? Yeah, I mean, I, my my personal experience has been that they have been quite open and welcome welcoming to to that idea. But I think kind of what has supported that is the idea that. Um, I, I tend to offer those those staff drop-in sessions once staff have a sense of who I am because you know, as, as we were talking about earlier, you know, teachers very rarely even see the educational psychologist sometimes, let alone know what an educational psychologist does. So I feel that it's really useful to have a, a kind of a, a face to a name uh, to kind of have a sense of who somebody is. So I, I tend to find that once I've delivered some kind of in-person training and you know I've had some conversations consultations with, with members of staff and I'm able to kind of frame the type of support that I'm offering um, teachers have, have, have been you know up for accessing that and, and have used that space um, really well but I think that the key is in the the, the framing of, of the support and you know it's it's optional it's not you know it's not supervision or drop-in session against your will you know this you know uh, members of staff have an, an opportunity to, to book in a session and that space is there if they want to access it. Fantastic. Now, we're going to have a, a couple of messages, but when we come back, I really want to get sort of deep into the, the sort of nitty-gritty of some of your uh, doctoral thesis. So uh, stick around with us if you're listening, and we'll see you just the other side of this. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. 
we need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello everyone, welcome to Swansea and the Twilight Show with me, Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. And tonight we're joined by Dr. Martha, a child and educational psychologist to discuss creating a space in a busy and complex system, the role that educational psychologists can play in reducing teacher stress. Um, welcome back. Thank you. Perfect. I do like to check just in case, you know, we've disappeared off. Now, I am going to sort of hammer through some facts just to kind of put in context for anyone outside of education. Um, none of these, I don't think, would be of a surprise to anyone who is currently working in education. And I think um, one of the most shocking things for me, though, and this is from the, the, the Teacher Wellbeing Index from 2021 from Educational Support, was that some of this stuff was fairly stable. Um, or at least it wasn't growing at a, a, a really high rate. And so this is the state of play really over the past five years in education, at least as far as this went back. But here we go. Uh, levels of stress and anxiety remain unsustainably high and stress levels increased in 2021 compared to 2020. Excessive workload and a lack of work-life balance remain the key issues at work drive poor mental health and well-being long working hours persist um, and levels of exhaustion have considerably increased more than three quarters or 77 percent of all staff experience symptoms of poor health linked to their work the most common symptoms of poor mental health are insomnia or difficulty sleeping nearly half of all staff always feel compelled to work when they're unwell bit like me today, I should say. 54% um, of staff considered leaving the education sector in the last two years, with 63% of senior leaders uh, considering that. And now onto the bit that maybe will inform our kind of discussion a little bit. Uh, more than half of staff would not be confident disclosing unmanageable stress and mental health problems to their employer. Less than half of all staff feel they trusted their line manager and staff experiencing mental health are more likely or most likely to turn to their family and friends. Uh, at work, they turn to a colleague first if they're experiencing stress or mental health issue. And staff who do not speak to anyone at work about mental health and wellbeing issues are mainly concerned it would negatively affect their uh, people's perceptions of them. Our top three coping strategies, apparently, of educational staff to handle workplace stress are food, eating, physical exercise and alcohol. So and it's probably a loaded question for you, um, Dr. Omar, um, but for your doctoral thesis then, you looked at how an educational psychologist can support teacher mental health. What drew you to the topic? Yeah, I mean, well, literally everything that you've kind of, you've, you, you've outlined there. And I mean, as, as I said before, you know, I think it's, it's such a shame that we are losing so many uh, talented and, and passionate teachers uh, because of, of something like stress or, or you know 
high high workload. Um, and and for me, I, I was really interested to see that you know what are we doing as educational psychologists? Um, what can we do as, as people who work within the education system? And I, I feel that you know because we are you know we're not directly employed by the school. I feel that we we offer a unique kind of perspective. So not only do we have you know the knowledge of the education system, you know how schools run and different hierarchies and expectations and, and, and things like that. We also have our, our psychological our psychological knowledge as well to be able to support um, members of staff with, with, with particular challenges. And I feel it's kind of like that that analogy of you know if you're inside a, a maze, you have a particular perspective of, of where it is that you need to go. But I feel that you know when you're outside of that maze, you've got a kind of bird's eye view. And, and can perhaps offer a different perspective to some of those challenges. And I feel that kind of EPs are almost analogous in that way, where we're outside of the system, but um, uh, have a perspective that perhaps we're, we're able to, to use our knowledge to, to support people um, within the school system. And how is this um, sort of approach or this this possible route how was it taken by sort of other eps that you, you'd spoken to or other people in that role sort of slightly outside of the the teaching element of the education profession um is it is it something other educational psychologists are talking about you know is it or was it um maybe reflected that they they thought maybe this wasn't part of their role yeah i mean very much so. i mean so Anecdotally, um, in my personal experience, there you know most of the EPs that I interact with are really keen to get involved with with this type of work. Um, you know, my research there were was it fifty five EPs who answered my questionnaire, but ninety eight percent of them felt that you know we have a role to play in this area. So that's you know really strong consensus there. Um, and you know, I th- I find it you know that really interesting and it also but I guess there's a part of this then of where that balance falls because Mm. you know is it is it down to the school to push on that as an idea is it down to EPs to kind of promote that out there and I know that you you talk about that a little bit as well uh, you know and we'll we'll get on to kind of some of the things you'd like to see happen um one of the parts though you know we've talked about this a little bit easier uh, a little bit earlier is about people understanding the EP role, and yeah. and you 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 said in your thesis that there's there's a need for the UK government's literature to reflect the breadth of the EP role more accurately, and much of the government literature um, espouses a narrow perception of the EP role, disproportionately weighted towards pupil um, assessment, which is what you you kind of mentioned earlier as well. Mm-hmm. Um, now these other parts then. That, that we'd like it to be shone on. One of the things in education that we have a, a lot, you know, and I guess this is down to our accountability models and, and dealing with a lack of finances. Um, whenever we do anything, we want impact and we have to measure impact. And, you know, there will be teachers listening who've, you know, uh, ha- had to write impact reports on their, their leadership projects and things. Why do you think this would have a big impact on education? Yeah, I think, you know, it's, and it's, it's a really good question. I th- and I think, you know, it's, it's a question that I feel still, um, perhaps as, as, a, as a profession, we're, we're thinking of, of the best ways to, to quantify impact. And it's, I guess it's, it's challenging, isn't it? Because, you know, with, with, with something like psychology and, and human behaviour, it's very qualitative, isn't it? It's quite mm-hmm. difficult to sometimes kind of put a, a, a number on it. And I guess kind of therein lies, you know, some elements of 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 the challenge but you know that there are things that that you can do in in relation to kind of gaining 
feedback from from people that you interact with. So, for example, you know, I I, I asked people who have that my the, the drop in sessions with me to kind of you know after they've they've had those sessions maybe a couple of weeks after to kind of send some thoughts and and reflections and that kind of qualitative information can be quite useful in terms of understanding how perhaps just having that space has allowed somebody to kind of reframe perhaps their own expectations of themselves in terms of what what are kind of fair expectations and goals and and having that time you know within the school day to sit and reflect has been has been useful so i i think it's kind of it's an ongoing um discussion in terms of the best way to how do we kind of evidence impact i guess ultimately if we're talking about something like supporting mental health and well and well-being you'll be seeing that that impact within the culture of the school so you know on an individual level i would say that staff drop-in sessions are a really good way to support individual teachers with um you know whatever challenges that it is that that they're facing but you know there's also another strand of that which is you know systemic um, systemic support so thinking about okay well how can we as eps support the whole school system so i've got involved with bits of uh, bits of work where i've been reviewing the you know staff well-being policy um and thinking about okay well what what do we mean by staff well-being what are we doing as a system that supports well-being and, I, and i'm really clear that you know when we're talking about well-being it's that idea of creating a culture and we're, we're not talking about you know a, a gimmick you know a, donuts on Friday and that's kind of contributing to, to staff well-being it's very much has to be w- embedded within the, the the school system and, and you know, be part of the school culture and you know I'm gonna this is probably you know maybe the hardest question that a teacher would throw at you and I you know I, I think there will be teachers potentially who are listening who, who who would say this and this you know having working in education you you may well recognize the, this this kind of aspect of teachers but there will be mm. some teachers certainly selfless teachers who are th- putting children first and they would say that the limited time they have with the EP is best spent on the students. Mm. Do you think that that is helpful or right or possibly a false economy? Yeah. I mean, I I think, I think it's a fair, it's a fair question to, to, to pose. And I, and I guess I, I would say that um, both things can be done. I think, you know, it's really important that, you know, there are always children who it's, it's going to be valuable to have that, um, individual EP um, assessment, if you like, but also, you know, I, I always think about, you know, who is who's containing the containers, who's supporting the supporters. You know, teachers have got you know a myriad of different things to to do, but who's providing the support for them? I mean, I know, you know, my myself, I've got a you know a family network that I want to support. I've got you know a friendship network that I want to support. I've got colleagues that you know I, I want to support, but I'm fully aware that unless I'm kind of supported myself. I'm not able to support all of those other people. So I think, you know, it, it's important that teachers can feel equally supported to do their role. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean that that takes away time from the pupils. So uh, I'll give you an example. There are, there are several schools that I work in who have, you know, quite limited EP time. So the EP time that they have, you know, it's not sufficient for them to be able to get you know a myriad of individual pupil assessments however there are systemic things that i can do within you know those schools if there's a, an identified challenge where you know we're seeing lots of challenging behavior for example it might be more beneficial to do a general staff training about uh, the different types of behavior that that's being seen and and talk about different strategies 
or it might be actually well for certain members of staff, it'll be useful to have perhaps a group drop-in where we can discuss what those challenges look like in that group setting and, and kind of tease out ideas. There are opportunities to think about, like I say, that systemic level working um, that doesn't necessarily involve directly working with pupils. So I, I would say that um, you, you can do a combination of both of those things, supporting teachers whilst also you know, providing that support for, for young people as well. I think it's about thinking creatively about how to use EP time. Yeah, and I guess, you know, broadening out some of that, that, that role expectation, or at least, you know, it does seem and, you know, I don't know, maybe this is just part of my own reflections on it, but it does seem that, that we have narrowed down or certainly, I feel sort of post pandemic or in the rush to get things done, that we've mm. sort of narrowed in a focus and gone actually no, no, because I've got these, 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 um, assessments as we say or you know these bits that need done or this pupil time that I, I need to get through so uh, we've narrowed down that focus and maybe you know in the rush we, we we've we, we what do they say we, we need to go slow to go fast or mm. whichever way I, I can't remember which way that round it goes um now I, I wanted to ask you this although you've answered some of this I think in some of it but, you know, some of the factors we've listened to, you know, we heard there at the start about the workplace uh, factors that, that cause teacher stress. Mm. Um, you know, they could be argued that there, there needs to be changes to the systems and, and not just looking at the symptoms of, of what's happening. And there, is there a danger that we're dealing with workplace stress in, with support, you know, through, say, the supervision and things, that we're, that we're not necessarily looking at the root causes? And does that, I guess, put you in a... A, a position of conflict with maybe senior leaders if they are saying you know we need this done but um you're hearing from from teachers through uh, drop-in sessions that actually you know there is too much marking or there is too much how do you manage that as a sort of an educational psychologist from outside the school that must be very tricky yeah i mean i think you, you raise a really important point and it's something that i argue really strongly for in my thesis and in fact my 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 concluded my conclusion paragraph is you know the point that yes you know EPs educational psychologists we you know we certainly have a role and we can play a role in supporting teachers to to reduce work related stress but that cannot be at the the the, the cost of of dealing with the root causes of that that stress in the first place you know that you know teachers are saying consistently that high workload is amongst the primary reason why they are leaving the profession so you know ultimately that is where we need to be kind of looking at and, and seeing what we can do to to support that at a kind of an individual school level that might be challenging um sometimes we we've got access to the head teachers will we'll routinely have access to 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 senkos but you know having those conversations about you know staff well-being and systems in place but i think even higher than that you know looking at you know governmental expectations in terms of what we're expecting from teachers. I think, you know, that needs to be looked at and reviewed as saying, you know, what what are we saying is a, a realistic expectation for teachers and, and what are we doing to support them? Because, you know, we as we, we don't have enough kind of EPs as, as we need at the moment, we, we certainly don't have enough teachers at the moment and we're, we're kind of constantly chasing our, our tail in terms of kind of training and recruitment. But, you know, I feel that, you know, it's, it's a really fair point unless we're looking at you know how we can reduce that workload in the first place you know we're not going to be making the the, the type of impact in terms of kind of 
keeping teachers in the profession that, that we would want. Yeah, and, and um, I, I would hope, you know, we, we talk a little bit there about the, the keeping teachers in and that very kind of the, the cliff edge point of, 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 of mental health and stress where teachers really are at the edge. But I, I would assume, though, that, you know, in, in the day-to-day classroom of just being um, more confident, more relaxed as a teacher, one would hope that that made me a better teacher in some way as well. Absolutely. I mean, you know, everything that we know about uh, the brain and our, our response to kind of high levels of stress, we're, we're not able to, to access, you know, our, our prefrontal cortex, you know, the part of our brain where that's responsible for, you know, executive functioning, a higher order thinking and all the skills that, you know, you would need in a classroom to deliver, you know, high quality uh, teaching. You're not able to access that part of the brain if you're kind of um, constantly living under these kind of elevated levels of, of, of stress. So actually by making sure that, you know, or, or enabling uh, teachers to have access to that type of support, you're actually going to be able to help them to be better teachers. I mean, I certainly know that if I'm feeling stressed and overwhelmed, I'm not going to be the best version of myself. And then that would be the same for, for anyone in any profession. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I, so it kind of leads me on a little bit to, you know, I, you know I'll tell you the, the roles that I've had. And when I say that I've not had um, supervision or any sort of mental health support in some of these roles, it might become quite shocking to some people. But, you know, I've been a designated safeguarding lead where uh, for those not in education, maybe who are listening in or have not done part of that role, you do hear and have to deal with and consider a significant amount of safeguarding concerns that you you can carry on your shoulders you know and you they could they can you know you can have uh, sleepless nights because of that and i would say you know if you have a designated safeguarding lead at your school you should you know consider what they have to go through in a day but you know i've done that i've had to use restraints as part of a role which i would say is, is um, one of the most traumatic and horrific things for anyone involved the child the the adult the people viewing it it's it's you know one of the things i struggle with the most as part of being part of education i've worked with children with really challenging behavior um i have at times as part of our restraints policy you were offered a debrief you know and everyone turned it down that i was aware of that that had it um now it's you know it's pretty well accepted that managing challenging behavior can negatively impact on the emotional state of teachers and it's one of the biggest factors that that teachers often raise um it raises questions about sort of the safeguarding of the well-being of teachers and who regularly have to deal with that behaviour. So do you think that there are specific environments or roles where this kind of support almost needs to be really directed or, or, or targeted at first? I'm, I'm thinking if I was a head teacher of a big secondary school, should I be targeting it or, or can it affect anyone, I guess? I mean, I, I, I would say that it can, it can affect anyone. And I, I would say any... Any context where, you know, members of staff are, are routinely dealing with, you know, traumatic, uh, challenging, uh, difficult behaviour would be a really good candidate for having that type of support. Because look, at the end of the day, we're, we're human beings, um, you know, I've, I've worked in, in, in those contexts where you've got, you know, an extremely distressed child and they're displaying behaviour that perhaps is, is, is unsafe. You know, it takes a lot of effort and mental energy to remain calm, to think about the other children, to try to de-escalate the situation. And, you know, that sits with you, but, you know, that, that has to go somewhere. And if you're constantly dealing 
with those type of situations. I'd say it's really important and it doesn't necessarily have to be educational psychologists, but you know, that's what I, I would argue for is one of those strands of support. But you know, there needs to be support in place for, for, for members of staff who are, who are dealing with those type of incidents on, on a frequent basis. Mm. But do you think, though, uh, yeah, I, I guess I'm asking, could, can uh, the stress, you know, could it be anywhere? Could it be someone maybe, you know, or, or do can we stereotype it, I guess, is my question. Or... I mean, it, it, I guess it's all down to individual factors and, and, and context. I mean, you, you'll have, you know, some personality types have a different level of resilience for certain types of things than, than others. And, and again, some, some context in terms of some schools or, or uh, um, and environments will have robust systems in place for supporting members of staff. So, I mean, I, d- I don't know if I, I, would, I would say that um, there, there's, there's one particular area where, you know, it would have to be mandated perhaps, you know, over another. I think it really depends on that specific context. I think that the key factor is, you know, are are members of staff kind of routinely feeling that they're they're dealing with an element of of, of challenge, and you know, and that could be in terms of you know some of the behaviour that that they're that they're they're seeing, some of the perhaps you know challenging cases, you know, safeguarding related cases, or you know, managing workload, whatever that challenge is. I would say that that is a, a mandate for for support to be to be put in place. Um, now, one of the things that I think, you know, it, it probably the, you know, the, 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 the black is the black hole that I have for what, you know, what we are discussing is, is what the, the drop-ins and the, and the supervision or, or whatever it is we're calling, having never been through it myself. And, and we know that there are a number of other teachers then also, you know, from the polls who, who wouldn't have been through something like this. Yeah. So, you know, I, they, myself and them might be well imagining, you know, a couch in an office somewhere <laughs> where we go and share our feelings, yeah. you know, so what, what are we talking about? How does, how does it, how does it work? I guess. Yeah, really, really, really good question, and and you know, and, and, and a fair one. I feel like it's it's one of those um, one of those things that I think you you have to to experience it to really get a, a full sense of it. I mean, anybody who's worked in in education, worked in the schools, knows just how busy and frantic that environment can be. You know, you, you can go in with your plan of what it is you're going to do, invariably, you know myriad of different things will kind of come up that you you hadn't foreseen and you're constantly kind of chasing the clock and trying to get things done before the kids go and all of those kind of things and you know the, the title of my thesis is you know creating a space in a busy and complex system and you know I think it kind of illustrates what those drop-in sessions do it kind of allows a, a member of staff for you know half an hour 40 minutes to just have a space to sit down with uh, an external professional, somebody who you know isn't directly attached to the school, in a kind of confidential space. So usually it's a maybe it's an, an empty classroom, for example, it's a, a one-to-one conversation. So you know, I, I always say that it's up to the person who I'm speaking to to you know decide what it is they want to share. If they want to share anything, there's there's no um, pressure to use the entire time, although we can use that, use as little of the time or as much of the time as they want to. And they can, you know, just 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 share their thoughts and and, and reflections. And, you know, I think people find it um, helpful to kind of have that space to just stop 
and think and also reflect with 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 somebody else who, who might be able to to help shape their thinking or perhaps maybe reframe or, or point them in, in perhaps a different direction. And so that would be, you know, possibly some coming along with, you know, sort of, I, I guess, a specific child or a specific class in mind and, and, and saying, look, I'm having real real issues here and it could be on a, on a very practical level then as well as being on a, a more Absolutely. emotional level. Absolutely. I've, I've had, you know, drop-in sessions where, you know, we've, we've spoken about, you know, a particular child, you know, child X, and we, we kind of think through kind of what, what's happening, what are, what are the triggers, what are the things that are, are being done to, to kind of support what's working, what's not working. We, we, we can get to that kind of practical level. I've had other kind of drop-in sessions where we've, we've just been talking about, um, you know, confidence, confidence levels and you know how those confidence levels perhaps might be more uh impacted in autumn one where you're kind of you know beginning to establish routines and and things like that and and then we might reframe the conversation about uh you know reasonable expectations are we expecting you know those routines to to be embedded you know by by day two of, of, of having a new class and thinking about okay maybe I need to change my relationship to what I'm thinking is a, a fair expectation for, for for me in terms of where I should be with my class so it, it can be a variety it really is up to the person who is 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 kind of in that supervision session to bring what it is that they want to talk about um, and like I say this is this is these are optional so these members of staff have the option to kind of to book in the session they'll typically book it in via their their Senko. Um, and then, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get down and, and have a conversation. Wow. And, you know, I, I find it really, really interesting, but it must be incredible, incredibly difficult for you, for you. Maybe that's not the right word, but maybe challenging that, you, you know, you, you don't necessarily know what's coming through the door and you're, you're, you're unpicking. Is it, is it more of a, a coaching model then or are you, you supplying answers or thinking them through with them? I mean, it's probably a combination. I mean, when I was doing therapeutic work, I, I kind of, I like to have a mixture of, you know, yeah, being able to provide some solutions. Like I, I feel, I feel that 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 can be helpful, but also just 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 listening. Um, and you know, I, I kind of come from the perspective that I don't have all the answers. Um, the person who I, I'm talking to likely has the answers, and if you like, my job is to to support them um, as somebody, as I say, outside of that maze to to kind of find the answers that best support them so that, that's a combination of you know kind of wondering or kind of picking up on things that somebody has said oh i've noticed that you mentioned the, you know you said this and it it made me think about this is that something that kind of you know resonates with you and or sometimes it might be you know directing them to to you know a particular thought or 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 provision maybe i wonder have you thought about trying x y and z and then seeing kind of how that that lands but you know it's, it's the part of my role that I guess I enjoy the most because it's 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 so dynamic it depends on you know who I'm talking to what their personality is like the things that are going to be you know supportive for them are going to look very different to perhaps another teacher and I guess that's the part that I enjoy is that you know I don't necessarily need to come with with a stack of, of different kind of answers I just need to be present in that moment and listen and, and kind of it's it's a reflective space Sometimes I can, you know, might, might think or wonder things and, and that might spark somebody else's thought. Oh, I didn't think of it like that. Or, you know, no, actually, maybe it's more in this direction. So, again, it's just about creating that space within the school day, which, as we know, is, is so busy and frantic that, you know, that opportunity is, is seldom there. 
Yes, you know, certainly is. And and uh, I I wonder, do you um do you work across primary and secondary schools? Yes, yeah. And 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 uh, you know, I don't want to put you too much on the spot, but do you see much of a difference between primary and secondary teachers? Not not in not in terms of what they bring for supervision sessions, uh, which is okay. quite interesting. I, I perhaps would have thought that maybe more in secondary, they would have kind of been more keen to, to directly kind of reflect on, you know, individual kind of unnamed pupils and think through strategies. But I, I found that the mixture of, in terms of what they might bring to the session has been you know, pretty varied across primary and secondary. I wouldn't say there's a particular uh, type of, of issue that like secondary school teachers would bring versus primary. I find that really interesting. Just, you know, like uh, sometimes we do, we have these kind of false divides that we put in between um, schools and and, and, uh, and sort of teachers and different phases. I, I move, myself move between them. So I, I find myself kind of oddly trapped in the middle sometimes of not, you know, not being primary or secondary or being both and, mm. and, and, and not being one or the other. Um, I, but some of the stuff there that you talk about, and I do reflect, and I think, you know, this idea of stopping and creating space and creating time. And I remember very vividly one of the only times, and the, this was an, an educational psychologist who, who, who this happened with, but it was in the, in, the, in the kind of height of COVID, I think. And, you know, we, everything was crazy. And I was a deputy head at the time, and, and things were incredibly tough in England, I think across all of the countries, but we were talking about, I think there were 70,000 words of, of, of um, guidance that I had to read through over a weekend at one point. And I remember going through and um, the, the educational psychologist had come in to do some observations, I think, for, 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 for something. And um, I, I stopped to have a chat with him in the, uh, in, the, in, the, in the reception area. And he just, he said to me, um, he said, and how are you? And I, and I was like, oh, yeah, no, it's, it's this way. It's down to this classroom that you need to go. And he just kind of stopped me and said, no, but, but how are you? And I honestly nearly burst into tears in, in the reception there because I stopped and I had the moment mm. to kind of think about everything. And and that that breathing space we sometimes don't build in to to yeah. to our days as educators um, maybe until the end of the day I guess and everything yeah. falls apart um, <laughs> is that something you'd you'd recognise from schools a hundred percent and I, I really I really resonate with 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 that um, yeah with, with with that story that you told there because you know it like you say it, it isn't something that is routinely part of of you know teaching practice and you know we're talking about high workload here so of course that you know there's a there's an element of, of thought that that is well if i'm having half an hour having this kind of conversation that's half an hour that I'm, I'm not planning or marking and you know i i you know i do understand that but i think the value of, of having that space can't be overstated in terms of how that can support you to to be clear more clear-headed about perhaps some of the other elements of, of the work that you're doing it like I said the idea that you can't pour from an empty cup you need a space to recharge at some point and you know when you were talking there it reminded me of um, in a, a previous role as an assistant EP um, there were a group of us that were operate, offering kind of supervision drop-in sessions for um, social workers and it was kind of done in, in, a, in a group context um, and and at first we we would get maybe there's a, a team of 10 and we'd get maybe two or three 
that would kind of kind of rock up to the supervision session because you know the rest of them they, they were just so busy they've got so much work to do and they couldn't afford to you know spend that time outside of you know doing what they need to do but kind of what happened is as, as those two and three came to the space and saw the value of the space they were able to kind of share their experiences by the end of our time kind of working with that service you know every week we were getting the full team of 10 because they came to appreciate how how valuable that space was for them but you kind of for a lot of them until they'd experienced it themselves they perhaps didn't see how much it could be uh, um, supportive yeah and i you know i think that that pull from an empty cup kind of quote i re- I, re- I really resonates with me and i do say a lot to people now in, in the kind of work that I do, and particularly with my team, that one of one of our, you know, strategies of, of helping the young people we work with is co-regulation. Where we and I, we we say a lot and remind ourselves that you can't co-regulate if you're not regulating yourself. Mm-hmm. And we have to take time away. And particularly, you know, if there are things that trigger us particularly about a situation, um, and, and I know lots of people have different things that trigger them in in, in all kinds of different ways. I, you know, I. I I am very fine with being sworn at, and that, that will shock some teachers. But I, I'm, I'm very fine with it. It's water off a duck's back to me for no reason, and even actually even being spat at, I am fine with. It doesn't doesn't, you know, it doesn't really face me at all. But being ignored is an absolutely terrible, terrible trigger for me, and I, I have to leave at that point, and I have to know that, and I have to stay. And it, it takes a certain amount of control and calmness on my part because if I'm not uh, present and I'm not aware of myself in that moment then I, you know, I will make the situation worse. I need yeah. to know that I need to step away. And if I'm not having a good day or I'm, I'm not in a good place mental health-wise, all of that kind of those dominoes fall apart. Absolutely. So I think, you know, this idea of looking after yourself and knowing yourself well yeah. is, is really important, particularly when working in challenging situations. Absolutely. I mean, I, yeah, I would fully rubber stamp um, what you said there because, you know, and, and kind of, reflecting on that that earlier point that that you raised around you know perhaps you know some people some teachers feeling reticent to kind of want to use kind of ep time for themselves if you like if we if we frame it um Mm -hmm. in that way but actually again using that time to kind of support yourself will enable you to support all of those people that you want to support you know your colleagues and and the pupils that you're interacting with and sometimes i feel it's about reframing how um, important it is that we kind of we, we set those boundaries in terms of kind of you know work-life balance um, but also set those boundaries in terms of looking after ourselves that isn't a bad thing and looking after ourselves doesn't mean you're selfish because if you're doing that you're going to be in a much better position to be able to look after and support other people that you're interacting with versus if you're not kind of doing that so I think there's definitely something I, I feel around reframing the idea of you know looking after yourself and looking after yourself in order to carry on supporting the people in your network Mm, definitely and and you know and do that over a number of years because as as you've already mentioned you know we are seeing teachers leave now um we're going to pop to the news but when we come back i do want to save some time at the end if it's okay to talk about ways forward or you know possible positive steps that people could take if if they've listened to it are you okay to stick around absolutely sure we will see you all on the other side of the news This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. 
They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.wetherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are Witherslack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The Christian Institute website reports that MPs have backed a push to ensure that state schools in England uphold the legal requirement to teach religious education, which in most cases reflects the centrality of Christianity. MP Martin Vickers led a Westminster debate on the issue and drew attention to the National Association of Teachers of RE on the Department for Education 2021 School Workforce Census. The census revealed that one in five schools did not teach RE at all in year 11, despite being required to do so by law. An average of 10% of schools gave no time to RE in the years 7, 8 or 9. MP Nick Fletcher said that without an understanding of Christianity, It is not possible to understand the foundations of our institutions and laws or British culture. He went on to outline that other religions should be properly recognised in the preparation of RE syllabus, but that RE needs to recognise the particular place of Christianity in Great Britain. Mr Fletcher cited other demands placed on schools and failures by Ofsted to hold schools to account as the reason for letting RE slip. In response, Nick Gibb, a minister in the DfE, said all mainstream state-funded schools are required to teach RE. Schools that are not are acting unlawfully or are in breach of their funding agreement. He also added that collective worship was an important part of school life. Mr Gibb further reiterated the government's commitment to mandatory collective worship and RE, but also a parent's right to withdraw their children from the subject. Earlier this year, a judge ruled that exclusively Christian RE lessons in Northern Irish primary schools is unlawful after a legal challenge was launched. The decision is being appealed as it dismissed the parents' right to withdraw their child from these lessons. In Lincoln, the Investigate Learning team at Lincoln Castle have been recognised for the outstanding learning programme they offer schools, colleges and universities. The Sandford Award recognises museums, galleries and historic buildings that offer the very best programmes aligned with the national curriculum. This year, the castle has welcomed around 8,000 pupils and students, teaching them about the medieval monument's history. The Sandford Award's lead assessor described the insight the programme offers as unique and compelling. The programme covers a series of locally and nationally significant history, ranging from the medieval world and Magna Carta to the treatment of prisoners in Victorian England, bringing it vividly to life in a way that resonates with learners. 
In a recent news report on Teachers Talk Radio, we covered the Global World Skills Competition, which is taking place in various countries across the globe. This past week, the UK was hosting for the first time in over 10 years. Competitors have travelled from around the world to compete in aircraft maintenance and manufacturing in Cardiff and Wrexham. Finalists had the opportunity to visit various places of interest in the local areas, including countryside, museums and an old coal mine. These young competitors have been training for the last three years to win medals and showing off their skills. The UK entrants feature homegrown Welsh talent with George Denman from Swansea telling FE Week how he hopes competing in world skills will be a huge boost to his career because it teaches key skills like coping under pressure, working as a team and time management. Finally, new research reveals the impact of accent on social mobility. The latest report from Accent Bias in Britain project led by Queen Mary University London's Professor Devyana Sharma reveals that more than a quarter of senior professionals from working class backgrounds have been singled out in the workplace for their accent. The project examines the impact that someone's accent has on their journey through education and into the workplace. Professor Sharma says the research shows that accent-based discrimination actively disadvantages certain groups at key points. This creates a negative cycle reinforcing anxiety and marginalisation. The report recommends that action should be taken to diversify the workplace to ensure a range of accents is prevalent in organisations. Further details of the report can be found on the Queen Mary University of London website. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Boridar Palb, Kroisoi Abatawi. Hello and welcome to Swansea and the Twilight Show with me, Nathan Ginn, on Teachers Talk Radio. If you're just joining us, don't worry, you haven't missed the show completely because you will be able to listen back at ttradio.org slash listenback where you can find all of our shows as podcasts. And if you can type into the little search bar there, you'll be able to find uh, shows on any topic you like. So just type in your keywords and it will track all the way back through, I think, a thousand shows at least we are at now. You can also find us on iTunes, on uh, Amazon Music, on Spotify. You can find us pretty much anywhere that you can get your podcasts. We're there. Tonight, I'm joined by Dr. Amar Ferguson. He's a child and educational psychologist to discuss creating space in a busy and complex system, the role that educational psychologists can play in reducing teacher stress. Um, Welcome back, Dr. Amar. Thank you, Nathan. Um, good, good. Now, we, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit at the start about your sort of your own personal journey. We've talked then about some of the ways in which um, that EP service in school, uh, you know, as it comes into school, um, can can support in different ways. And whether that be the kind of things that most people think about, those, those um, uh, pupil based assessments or pupil centered assessments um, through to staff training at a kind of systemic level and even then through to things like drop in sessions and supervision where you're working more closely with staff um, to look at their mental health and their well-being. 
Now, a question for you, I guess, more generally across, uh, you know, than across the teaching profession. But do, do you think we are seeing a change finally in people's attitudes towards mental health and particularly the, the workplace's responsibility in looking after workers' mental health? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we are. And I, I think, you know, positively, you know, we're, we're able to talk about it now and, and we're able to talk about mental health and, and, and well-being um, in a way that I, I feel we're beginning to have a more healthy conversation in, in the way that, that, that we think about um, mental health, but, but particularly um, well-being and, and how, you know, that will have an impact on, on your ability to, to kind of, you know, do your job to the best of, of your ability. I think, you know, what's really important for me is as, as, as we're kind of being kind of, I don't know, more able to have these kind of open conversations about how mental health and, and well-being might impact uh, kind of performance, if you like, in the, in the workplace. It's really important for me that it doesn't become uh, a, a gimmick where, you know, you know, like I said before, you know, you have these kind of, you know, a well-being day or you have a well-being event. And, you know, I'm really clear that when we're talking about, you know, well-being in relation to kind of school systems, it, 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 it has to be within the culture of the school. Um, it, it can't be, you know, these kind of one-off signpost events. But I think it's, it's, it's good that we're now having that conversation. Mm. You know, and I think, you know, some of the things possibly that, that were that were in the way, certainly for myself, and as I say, you know, I have a very checkered kind of uh, history of looking after my own mental health, you know, and, and I very much would, would say I'm from a, maybe a, a demographic that suffered with kind of elements of toxic masculinity around looking after ourselves and talking about our own mental health. Mm. Um, I, I, I do feel that, you know, finally, um, that th those things are are being accepted, maybe. Um, I, I, you know, I do think there maybe is so, so, some more way to go, but the door seems to be open, and I'm hearing much more about schools doing things like the kind of things you're talking about, where we are starting to consider, and you know, whether or not, I guess that comes from a, a you know, a selfish point of view in the sense that they want to keep teachers in the profession mm. or whether it comes from a place of true care I guess in the end I you know I, I don't really mind as long as it's happening for people you know it, it could be done in a you know as you say a tick box kind of way but mm. you know if, if we are getting to the end result of, of good mental health practice as opposed to you know things that are just there for a poster on the wall I think yeah. that can only be a good thing um, but um, one of the things that I wanted to ask about then, and if we, you know, we'll con try and condense our, our conversations about that, those things that you would like to see that, that, you know, change maybe about how educational psychologists and schools work together um, and, and how that happens. What would be some of the sort of practical steps or changes that you'd, you'd like to see changed and whether they're made at sort of, I guess, a national level uh, around finance or whether they need to be made at a local level around commissioning of EP time or even at a school's level? What sort of things do you think, you know, are the, are the tangible things that maybe need to happen to change to put us in a better place? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. And I mean, when I was kind of, you know, asking this question as part of my research, kind of what are the barriers that are stopping EPs from doing you know, more of, of, of the type of work that I, I feel would, would, would be helpful? I think one of, one of the key ones, uh, one of the key barriers, is, is a barrier we were talking about kind of right at the beginning of the show, is, you know, the general lack of knowledge of, of the breadth of the EP role. So in the second part of, of my, my research where I was interviewing um, 
EPs and Senkos. So Senkos are typically the, um, the, the, the people who, who co-commission the EP work that goes on in schools. So it's really important that EP Senko relationship, but um, both EPs and Senkos themselves were saying that there's a, an uncertainty that Senkos have about the breadth of the EP role, which of course is going to have big implications for then how schools will might kind of commission um, EP work. So I think one thing that's that's really important is you know those conversations that EPs have with Senkos in terms of kind of supporting them to understand you know, the full breadth of perhaps what we can do, but also in in, in the training of, of of new Senkos. I mean, I was quite stunned to find that nowhere in the Senko qualification does it talk about educational psychologists and what educational psychologists can do and how educational psychologists can support Senkos to support, you know, SEM need across the school. So I think, you know, instantly that that's a, a glaring kind of hole that needs to be filled in terms of new Senkos coming into position, having that knowledge of, um, of, of the breadth of the EP role. Um, you know, we need to train more educational psychologists. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of, I think there was a, uh, was a couple of years ago, we, we were losing uh, through retirement more EPs than we were training. And that was from a position where we already didn't have enough educational psychologists. So, you know, I, you know we need to do more to train. So that's kind of the, the DFE providing more kind of funded places to, to meet the demand. And it's quite interesting. We're, we're seeing over, you know, lots of sectors you know in the public sector you know nhs we're not training enough doctors not training enough nurses it's a kind of a, a common theme here about kind of investment but i think you know you know letting senkos know the breadth of, of the ep role is really important having more eps to support provision across the school um in terms of funded uh, training places are, are, are two um, really important areas i think in terms of being able to to actualize some of the things that I'm talking about in terms of how EPs can support teachers. And as far as sort of those, those things, I know you sort of mentioned about there, about the, um, you know, the, the, the training element of, of um, Senkos, but also do, do EPs have brochures, they have flyers? How, how, you know, how, how, how did you go about getting this information out there to schools that, that this was an option? Yeah, I, I guess for me, it, it was, you know, it was direct conversation. So, you know, we will have what we call planning meetings at the beginning of, of each half term where the, the, the Senko and the EP will kind of get together, talk about, okay, what are the priorities for the year? How are we thinking about using um, EP time? And it's usually during those kind of conversations where I can begin to kind of explore with the Senko how they've previously worked and kind of what their understanding is of of the type of work that that we can do and in a kind of co-negotiate so a lot of the senkos that i've had conversations with um this year have been like pleasantly surprised that you know there there's type of types of work that um i can do to support the school outside of you know individual pupil assessment and that's been quite 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 helpful but yeah it's very much about having that conversation and i think for me i i start from a point where i'm not assuming that the person I'm talking to has a full knowledge of, of the EP role. I'm kind of being kind of uh, curious as to, to, to their understanding and, and, and kind of eking that out through conversation and perhaps you know, signposting different types of work that might be useful for the school.
And you kind of um, you, you you said earlier that you you'd found when when questioning the, the the EPs as part of your research that they would be up for this conversation. They you know they, they it was seen as a positive thing that they want to be involved in. Absolutely. I mean, most of the EPs that I come into contact with, you know, they you know are excited about having a variety of type of types of of work that's not just you know pupil assessment or you know continual report writing. Um, it's kind of that active psychology when you're interacting with with people in a, a training session or thinking about um, reviewing a particular policy with senior leads and kind of using your psychology in that way or you know providing a, a therapeutic space for for members of staff. So uh, you know, in my my research and also in kind of my anecdotal experience, you know, majority of EPs are, are, are very much kind of up for that type of support. And you know, we've talked a little bit there about the the you know the um, training element of it, but also I imagine that you know the, you know I don't want to, to to pry into the expense of an of what an EP costs, but I can't imagine that some of that time is 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 cheap. We you know we need to look at school funding possibly for how to support this. Absolutely, I mean, and that also come that kind of kind of comes down to um, that that previous conversation we were reflecting about the, the paucity of of EP times and sometimes it's actually it's more efficacious for an EP to work with a group of teachers than it would be for them to work for with you know one pupil doing an individual pupil assessment so you know even if you go from a kind of you know a cost benefit analysis perspective sometimes you know working more creatively in terms of how we're using EP time maybe directing it towards the adults who are supporting those children can be a more efficacious use of, of EP time. Um, and so, there, you know, there may be some Senkos listening. There may be, though, however, also some some teachers or some middle leaders who would be looking to start down this path with their school or hopeful that maybe their school would be interested in headed down this way. Would you have some advice of, of, of where they could start looking or how they could start sort of finding out more about if there would be a possibility of this? Yeah, I mean, I would be really keen to kind of uh, see what their their particular context is in terms of their their local authority EPS so each each school should have a, a kind of a named uh, educational psychologist so I'd be keen to know okay well who's who is our who is our EP uh, how much EP time you know do we have you know can we have um, a conversation perhaps at the next planning meeting that might be a good opportunity to kind of think with with the EP and the Senko about how that time could be used. Fantastic. And, and, you know, we, we've talked a little bit there about the different ways in which that it could be um, helpful to people in, the, you know, in the fact that it could be training, it could be these um, the kind of drop in sessions, and it could be, um, obviously, some of that one to one time. And, and do you think then that that is really the, a kind of broad balance that most schools would benefit from having a little bit of each to in a varying level? Or are they going to be, is it going to be very context specific? I mean, I, I'm I um, kind of working in seven schools at the moment. Uh, that's that's five primary schools, uh, two secondaries. One of those primaries is a, is a specialist um, autism provision, and I would say in in all but one of uh, those schools, I'm doing drop-in sessions. I'm doing uh, training on kind of things that are kind of coming up for those schools, alongside you know. My, my consultation and, and individual uh, assessment work. So I, I think kind of having a combination of different types of support is generally going to be supportive for, for most contexts. 
Um, and I want to push you on, you know, just at the end, because I know we talked a little bit about your view of education at the start. And, you know, I do find this interesting from sort of, you know, the different elements of it. And some people might uh, stereotype, you know, I, you know, maybe educational psychologists looking uh, at education from a, a very specific point of view. And I have heard some, you know, there, there are uh, clinical psychologists maybe who don't talk fondly of the education system mm. and about the you know the things that um go on in it and in the fact that it may be that schools themselves need to change um do you find yourself uh airing down that path do you ever consider sort of the 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 the, the educational system as a whole uh, you know when we start looking at you know is it damaging children is it damaging for staff I mean, I, I think that there are there are definitely unhealthy kind of working practices that happen within education, and and there are you know a, a myriad of, of of different reasons for that. You know, we, we think about how we how we we judge schools based on results, irrespective of the demographic of, of pupils that come in or the the kind of the, the local context and, and, and what that looks like, and the pressure that 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 adds and you know anybody who's been working in a school when Ofsted is is due and you're in an Ofsted cycle and, and the kind of the stress and pressure that of, of preparing for that of, of what that can do for schools so I definitely feel that there are there are practices um, that are embedded within the school system that I think it would be very useful to look at and review and I, I'm I'm really keen when I work with individual schools to to try and look at you know systemic practice um within within a school and see how i i can support that um depending on on, on a particular context but i i think it's 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 fair to to say that I, I would say that there are a number of practices that are probably a part of the education system that it would i i feel would, would be helpful to to review i mean you know how we judge schools for example mm -hmm. I, I i would be looking at at, at, at the ofsted system do you know I, I i've never considered it until this point or, or not maybe in depth but you know i i've seen a number of of, of maybe trauma-informed schools um particularly and we tend to focus that or you know a, a, whether it be you know any any of those kind of things where we're looking at it from a more holistic point of view i uh, and I've, i i rarely see that transferred to to staff maybe in the way that you're starting to describe there mm. where we're sort of saying actually do you know what we're going to we need to think about what the behaviour is showing us from the child, but also taking that another level. And, and as leaders, we need to think about the emotional security and safety of, of our staff as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fundamental for me. Like I say, um, if you work in education, children rightly are going to be at the forefront of our minds. But, you know, who is supporting that support network is the question I always ask. You know, who is who's containing the, the containers? Um, and I think I think it's it's, it's vital that if we're going to kind of be the type of teachers and professionals that we want to be, that that support is is in place. You know, all of us can think of, you know, a teacher, probably teachers who we interacted with when we were in school who made a difference, who, you know, went the extra mile to support us. You know, we need those type of people to continue to contribute and, and support young people going forward. But, you know, time energy is finite um, and you you know you can't pour from an empty cup so equally as much as we we need those people and they've impacted us i'm sure in terms of, of our journeys but we we need to think about 
what we're doing to to support them to to be able to carry on doing the work that they're doing fantastic um now it's, it has been an absolute you know an absolute pleasure to talk to you and it's been really you know it, it's really as, as i say opened my mind a bit and hopefully has been useful to people because it is an, an area of education that i've realized i you know disappointingly for me had an absolute blind spot around sort of what was involved what the, what the actual job role was of these people who were coming in and, and helping us shape education um and so yeah I would, you know thank you so much for coming in and sharing your time with us oh it's been an ab- absolute pleasure um yeah thank you for taking the time to kind of you know, read read through my thesis and yeah it's, it's been uh, yeah been fascinating kind of re- reflecting with you this evening so thank you for having me on and now if people wanted to reach out maybe and and, and, and get in contact with you is there a way that they can do that yeah so I'm, I'm quite active on on twitter um so my my twitter handle is at dr ramar ferguson that's um a h m a r f e r uh, G U S O N, and I've got a link to my doctoral thesis um, on my Twitter page. So if anybody would, is interested in, in in reading up a little bit more, you you can find it there. Yep, and uh, as I say, yeah, I I I, I read for it myself. I found it very, as I say, that you know the, these parts in in education where I suddenly realised that I have a blind spot. I find so interesting because there there is there is gains to be made. I think you know, and as the some of the things that you've you've described, people maybe considering or looking into do, you know, there, there there are other ways of using time and using EP time that I think is be incredibly helpful. Now, I I I, I will put put you on the spot you don't have to uh, say you know um reply in welsh i will say nostar which is good night i don't want to throw you there at the end so in case i do you know i do say good night and i say nostar that is just welsh for good night so don't worry i'm not saying <laughs> anything else but as i say thank you again it's been an absolute pleasure now if you are listening live you can join us very shortly after this show um on the twitter spaces um where you, you can um listen to our next show on twitter spaces then after that if you bounce back to podbean there should be another a show in fact there are a lot of shows this week um sometimes up to 30 a week we're up to at the moment and and all kinds of different topics so if you want to head over to ttradio.org slash listen back you can type in anything uh, that you could want to hear a show about and i almost guarantee uh, you know i i pretty much guarantee that in the past thousand episodes or so that we hold on our, our platform at the moment you will find something to interest you uh, make your journey home your journey to work or even your evening in the bath um, pass by with a little bit of educational discussion. Um, so, Dr. Omar Ferguson, uh, thank you very, night, uh, very much. And Nostar, good night. Thank you so much for having me on, Nathan. And we will see you all next time on The Twilight Show on Teachers Talk Radio. Good night. Nostar. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.